Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. Jared mentioned we've uh, merged with uh, Savior's community, and some of their leaders and staff have landed here with us, and uh, I want to introduce them to you. Um, Their elders or leaders um, didn't land here with a position, but are here serving on a transition team, helping us oversee the flock and, and, and care for people in this church, and so we get together um, monthly and talk about how it's going and what's going on. And so I just want to stand them up. Uh, these are men uh, worth following. And um, I wanted to introduce you to the leaders at Saviors who have landed here. Also wanted to introduce you to the staff from Saviors that have landed here so that if they're asking you questions about, you know, um, you know, what you're up to, that you'll know why they're asking you the questions they're asking you. So, Laura, would you stand? This is Laura Smith. She's serving here. And Carrie, would you stand? Carrie's serving alongside of Mary, the kids. Excited to have you guys. And then, um, and then Tim Denton, would you stand? He's served as an elder for some time at Savior's Mark. Would you stand? Peter, would you stand? Who else? Danny. Would you stand? All right. And uh, am I missing anyone? Help me. And then Joe, Joe Torres, who's also an elder, um, is in Mexico. Um, so he's not here. And then Dick Kendi was at the first service. And so those are two uh, leaders that I don't get to point to this morning. Uh, Dick, in the first service, announced that he feels like God's calling him to step down. Uh, from eldership. He's close to 80 years old, and he's served for an elder as for close to 50, um, close to 20 at Saviors, and then at Ivanhoe Presbyterian prior to that. So he has been an elder in the church and in the city for quite some time. So we got a chance to pray for him. If you don't uh, know Dick, you should, and he's still going to be in the game here, uh, but not serving in the same way that he's been serving. So these are men uh, worth following, just want to stand them up, and these are staff worth listening to, so if they try to bring some direction to your life, you should take it. All right, thanks guys for standing. Hey, um, one of the great... uh, privileges that God's given me um, is to teach my kids things. And um, I, 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 one of the things that I don't have to teach them, one of the things that comes really naturally to them is, is disobedience. Like, <laughs> they've got it. You know, I don't, I don't need to, it's not like learning how to ride a bike. They know how to ride this bike. And uh, it comes naturally to them. They're, they're good at it. And uh, this week as I was thinking about obedience and submission and some of the things we'll talk about this morning, I was thinking, like, why does this stuff come so naturally to us? What's up with the proclivity towards independence and rebellion? Why are we so, why am I so good at it? I started thinking, why, why do the wrong things taste so good and the right things taste so bad? Why can't the right things to eat taste like mayonnaise, you know? Why, why can't that be, you know? Why, why don't we just stumble into Christ-likeness? Well, I just woke up on Tuesday, like Christ, you know? Why don't... Why is, it, why is it that the drift is downstream and that if we don't work to paddle upstream, we end up pretty far from him? What's that about? How come I don't have to teach my kids how to uh, disobey? These were, were questions I was thinking about. Why, why, why that proclivity, that tendency towards rebellion? Why, don't, why, why aren't I teaching on a Sunday morning, this is how to rebel, you know? Why does it come so naturally to us? Why do we excel 
at the wrong things and struggle with the right things. So the first command that God gave man, He gave to Adam. He gave Adam a command that was simply, don't eat from this tree. And God also gave Adam a free will so that he could choose to obey the command that God had put before him. You know the story because you live the story every day. It's not just a story. It's a tendency inside of us. And then Adam and Eve are deceived into thinking that God's commands and God's instruction for their life is not for their benefit or for their good. And so they think that they know better. They do what is right in their own eyes. Again, you know both this story and you know this story in an up-close and personal way in your own life. And they disobeyed. They disobeyed the command, the instruction that God put in front of them. And now Scripture tells us we remain under a curse because of their disobedience. Romans tells us, therefore, just as sin entered through the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all men because all have sinned. So we're sinners. By nature, you've inherited a curse. And by choice. It's not just something that happened to you. You're into it. I know, I know you don't want to cop to that. But this proclivity is something that isn't, you know, this drift is something that we go with. So we rebel against authority for many reasons. We struggle to submit ourselves uh, for more than a few reasons, but I'd like to share some observations with you. These are the reasons why it's so difficult at times to obey and to submit your life and to follow the instructions we've been given. The first is, as I, as I said, Adam, our first father, was a rebel and a lawbreaker. And we've inherited this curse, and through his disobedience, death has come to all men. The second reason we struggle to take direction or as you know, we continue this morning to talk about obedience, what's difficult about obedience is that we are proud. We're proud. We think we could do it better or that we know better. Better than our teachers, better than our bosses, certainly better than our politicians. Listen to talk radio for just five seconds. And you'll hear this. Well, it's simple. It's real simple. We just bomb Syria. Well, it's not simple. You don't just bomb countries, you know. But we think we know what to do. We're smarter than them. We know better than them. If I was leading the church, we would do this. Our pastors don't know. Our teachers don't know. Our politicians don't know. And unfortunately, our God doesn't know. Our God doesn't know. This is what the demo days are like. If you've not been to one, come out. It's great. Six guys stand in a semicircle. They watch one guy cut with a sawzall. I wouldn't do it that way. I'd do it this way. I'd take it upward. No, 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 no. You've got to beat that out. Give me another guy gets up there, starts trying to create some separation. What I would do, I wouldn't cut it at all. I would pull on it. Let's get five guys and pull on it. And we just stand around. Everyone knows better than the other guy. Don't, don't do that with the broom. I wouldn't do that if I were you, right? It's what we do. Smarter, better, more competent as leaders we know, right? We're proud. The third reason um, that we have this tendency or proclivity towards rebellion is it's American. It's a pastime for us. It's what we do. Um, In fact, we practice it in case we ever should need to do it for real, right? It is, it is. We don't have holidays that celebrate people who paid their taxes and complied to what government, you know, was, was doing or saying. We celebrate civil disobedience. It's applauded. Um, It's celebrated. Watch, look at the stories we tell our kids. Look at um, every story that Disney's ever told. It starts with someone, you know, following their heart 
right? And in the end, it works out for them. Look, if you don't hear anything else I I say this morning, it's not going to work out for you if you follow your heart. The Bible does not have good things to say about your heart. I would follow Jesus. Never once in my reading of Scripture are you told to be yourself. I'm serious. I'm not here telling you to be yourself. In fact, I'm not here telling you to live a better life. I'm trying to teach you how to die a better death. You shouldn't be yourself. You should be transformed into the image of Jesus. You shouldn't follow your heart. It's desperately wicked. So this whole idea that you should follow your heart, you should be yourself, and in the end, it'll work out for you. The Disney story tells us that at the beginning, it doesn't work out, but at the end, it does. In my understanding of rebellion, as I've practiced it, it works out for me initially, and then in the end, it doesn't work out, right? Initially, I get some breathing room, and I'm like, yeah, I'm being myself, you know? Who's to say that I can't do this? And I enjoy that type of freedom. And then it leads to death. The other reason uh, that we struggle to obey, we're on the backside of the 60s and 70s, um, which I wasn't there, but I was told that was a time where it wasn't necessarily so cool uh, to do what you were being told to do. So we slept in our vans, we stuck it to the man, we burned our bras, we protested. I don't know what it is that you did. But now, now what's interesting, I I don't know, I just heard stories, and not many from my parents, because my parents don't like these stories, but (laughs) it takes a while to get these stories out of my parents, but but now in a strange turn of events, the hippie has become the man, and there's a new generation trying to stick it to them. So this is just always seems to, to go on. The other reason we struggle with obedience, which is what we're going to talk about today, is because we're selfish. Every time we start talking about being obedient or being submitted to authority, everyone wants to talk about the exceptions. What about Nazi Germany? What about Martin Luther King Jr.? You know, these are the examples. Well, what about this? Well, what if you're told this? Look, I understand that there are exceptions to what I'm going to say, and I also understand that you're not the exception. You're not. You just like to hold on the exception so that you can do what you want to do. There are exceptions, and you're not it. I'll let you know when we hit one of those times. When there is an exception, we'll talk about it. Listen, Martin Luther King Jr. practiced civil disobedience for selfless reasons. It, in the end, cost him his life. We practice disobedience for selfish reasons. Tiff and I went to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., and I know there's many, um, but the one in Washington, D.C., as you exit, you exit past a plaque, and and that plaque has the names um, and, and some sentences about the people who chose to give their lives to house Jewish people in Nazi Germany. And you read the list and, and, and you read that they too had kids and that they were killed in front of their kids for housing Jews during this time. And it's completely overwhelming. And uh, completely overwhelming. They practiced civil, civil disobedience for selfless reasons, not selfish reasons. This is way different than our attempts to legalize marijuana. This is way different than a pro-choice movement. I think the pro-choice movement is a selfish movement. We practice civil disobedience for selfish reasons. I'm not throwing stones. I do it too. I practice disobedience for selfish reasons, not selfless reasons. My wife and I walked out of that (laughs) museum, and apparently we had parked somewhere where you weren't allowed to park. In Visalia, you're just used to parking in front of things that you're going to. And Washington, D.C. was different than that, apparently. And so the car that we had borrowed got towed uh, while we were in there. But how amazing is it to walk out with that type of perspective? Part of me thought that we had lost the car, and then part of me thought that I had been crying so hard that I just couldn't see the car. I felt like my face was swollen, you know, and I felt kind of out of it. 
we had been in there for a couple hours, and so it was like, we can't find the car. And then we find out it got towed. We don't know where it got towed. So we're trying to find the tow yard in a big city. And it's so cool. I mean, what are you going to do? Complain about getting your car towed when you walk out of the Holocaust Museum? <laughs> are you serious? Why did my car get towed? You know, there was none of that, you know, none of that. And Tiffany and I were just like, oh, car got towed. Well, we'll just find it. You know, we just started walking. <laughs> You know, perspective, perspective is such a gift. Perspective is such a gift. And uh, it's why we get together and worship. It's why we get together and praise God. Because there's like a perspective that comes that shifts everything. And all of a sudden, things that used to matter don't matter so much anymore. And things that we were hung up on, we're not really hung up on anymore. So... Pretty, pretty selfish. I don't know about you, but I am. Um, the other reason, and this, this, this is pretty legit, we've seen it abused. You've seen authority abused. Um, maybe, maybe it was the authority that God gave your parents that was abused in your life. Maybe um, from a, a boss, a teacher, somebody who's in authority over you, you've seen it abused. And so we rebel against it. We kick against it. We run away from it. And I will remind you this morning that the answer to anything being abused in your life is not to get rid of it. And it's not to abstain from it. It's to use it rightly. You can't just get rid of it, right? And I think this is the the problem with us. It's like, well, authority's been abused. So the answer to that is to paint or to draw some anarchy signs on your Jansport backpack and that the answer to something being abused is to get rid of it altogether. If, you, if, you, if, if you've abused sex in your life, the answer is not to get rid of it altogether. The answer is to use it rightly, the way God intended it to be used. Not to just abstain from it. That might be a part of your recovery. But you'll start to recover when it's used properly. Uh, if words, you know, some, some of you, you've literally been abused by words. The answer to words being used in abusive ways, not just get rid of words, it's to use words rightly. That's what you need, right? If you've been abused by hands, the answer is not to get rid of arms, you know? The answer is that those arms would embrace you and do what they were intended to do and not what God didn't intend them to do. So the answer to any sort of abuse, and I know you know, your boss is a jerk and you've had teachers that wear whack and you've had pastors who are legalistic and, you know, I know that authority in your life has been abused, but the answer to abuse is not to just abstain or get rid of something altogether and I think that you understand that. I was uh, reflecting on kind of rebellion, my own tendency to not obey or to receive input or instruction and, um, I was thinking about why is it so hard for me to read instructions? Like, why do I feel like that little booklet is just insulting me? I feel like it's mocking me, you know? And uh, we just got bunk beds from Ikea, you know? And Tiff was like, well, let's read the instructions. Like, let's not. I don't, I got this, you know? It's kind of this, there's kind of this, Nobody tells me what to do. Nobody tells me what to do, especially a dumb little booklet, you know. And in the end, who, who pays for that, you know? In the end, who have I really stuck it to, you know? In the end, have I showed, you know, the little white booklet who's boss, you know? Or in the end, do my kids have a bunk bed that may or may not stand, you know? <laughs> but there's this tendency, you know? You pay when you insist on doing it your own way. You pay. I know you think you showed us. You pay. Your family pays. The bunk bed collapses. You pay. So I know you think you might be sticking it to the man. You're the man getting stuck if this is your approach to life. Nobody tells me what to do. Proverbs 14.12 says this, 
There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. This is rebellion. This is what goes on when we do what Adam and Eve did and fail to trust His instruction in our lives. There is a way that seems right. It actually will feel right. In the end, it leads to death. So there's good news this morning for people who refuse to look at instructions. There is, there is the front of the box. Because everyone refuses the instructions, but about halfway in you're like, where's the box? Where's the box? Because you want to see the way it's supposed to look. You need to see the way it's supposed to look. No, I don't need the instructions. No one tells me what to do. Where's the box? Where's the box? I need to see how this is supposed to look. So we all look at the front of the box. We all look at the front of the box, right? And for us, the front of the box is Jesus. His life is an example of perfect obedience. His life is what it looks like all put together. His life is the thing that even if we're struggling to put it together, we continue to look at and go, that's what it's supposed to look like. And He is for us a model of what perfect obedience looks like. That Scripture in Romans, the one that says that sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and and in this... Death came to all men because all sinned. Goes on to say, For if by the trespasses of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? So we will look at the front of the box, even if you decide not to open your Bible and read the instructions. We will behold Jesus and strive to put His brilliance on display because He modeled for us a life of perfect obedience. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the sermon has already and I'm hoping that the sermon will continue fly in the face of everything you know or the things that you think are right. So I'm going to pray and then we'll open our, our Bibles. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here. Holy Spirit, we submit ourselves to your counsel, your instruction. I want to ask that you would come and convict us. We know that we need conviction because there is no conversion, there is no change without you first convicting us. I want to ask, Holy Spirit, that you would show us our sin. I want to ask, Holy Spirit, that you would show us how bad it is because we've been lying to ourselves. And we've been lying to each other. I want to ask Holy Spirit that you would then show us Jesus. That you would point us to the cross. And that we would see how good He is. And how loved we are. And I want to ask for this church that we could be responsive to your invitation this morning. That we wouldn't kick against it. That we wouldn't continue to do what's right in our own eyes. But that we would submit ourselves to your leadership and your instruction. Jesus, your Savior and Lord. Amen. So as a church, we are unpacking the vision and values of Radiant. Uh, Last week, uh, we talked about beholding Jesus. Because that's where it starts for us. We want to see Jesus. And then when we do, we want to be a reflection of Him. That is that we want to put His brilliance on display. We want to put His brilliance on display by living lives that are obedient to His Word, surrendered to His Spirit, and devoted to His mission. So that, or in order that, or resulting in the lost being found, prodigals returning home, disciples being made, and churches being planted. That's the game. That's what we're up to. That's the scorecard. We're constantly going to be asking ourselves, you know, hey, are the lost being found? No, there's not. No one's been converted in months. And then we're going to backtrack and go, well, are we living our values? Are we actually being obedient to the word, surrendered to the spirit and devoted to his mission? Well, not really. Well, what are we missing about Jesus? What about Jesus are we not seeing? What about his character? You know, what distinctives? What are we what are we missing as a church and what do we need to talk about? You know, or who do we need to talk about? 
So this is kind of the scorecard, the name of the game uh, for us. Last week we talked about seeing Jesus, and we'll start this sermon uh, on as we talk about being obedient to the Word by talking about Jesus and how He succeeded in all the ways that we've failed. So we'll see Him, we'll look to the front of the box, and then we'll look to rearrange our lives to make them look a little bit more like what we see in the picture. Got it? Hey, before we move on and talk, and talk about being obedient to the Word of God, because this, this will be a sermon about obedience, um, not necessarily a sermon defining what we mean by the Word of God. So I just want to say and throw out to you that we believe God's Word to be the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. We believe that to be God's written Word to us. And that is for us the superior court. It's not that there aren't lower courts. It's not that there aren't other places where we get understanding, but we subject what happens in in those courts, districts, to the superior court of Scripture. It is the rule. It is the final authority for life and practice in this church. So we still believe that God communicates. We still believe that He leads. We still believe that He speaks. But when He does lead and speak, we subject it to the superior court that is His written Word. So, that is our stance on the Word of God. Um, I know that there's more to it. I know that, there's pro- you know that there's, there are some difficulties with understanding and interpreting the Word of God. And I know that there are some struggles and some difficulties in hearing His voice. And that's why we gather together. We gather together to help each other navigate, understand, and apply what God's Word is saying to us. So, community is the best place to discern what God is speaking to you. And community is the best place to discern what God's saying through His written Word to us. Okay? Not your closet. Don't, you know, it's great to come out and share what God's spoken to you and subject it to the input of others and to subject it, if it's something you've heard from him, to his written word to make sure that superior court is for it. All right. So, when it comes to a life of obedience, it's Jesus. He's the perfect example of obedience to the word of God. Sin and death came through Adam and came through Adam's disobedience, and now redemption has come through Jesus Christ's perfect obedience. His perfect obedience. If you think about it, um, Jesus is for us a model, but He's also our Savior. And it's important that you keep that straight. It's important that you hold on to both of those things, because I think some people are like, yeah, Jesus is our model. We're going to do what he did. No, he came and he died because you can't do what he did. Really, you need him as savior. He's not just a model for how we're going to go about living our lives. He saved us because he lived the life that we couldn't live, died the death that we deserved, and now we inherit everything that he had. He took our sin, he took our shame, and he's given us abundant life. And I fear that that abundant life is the thing that we're forfeiting when we walk in unsubmitted, rebellious lives. Okay? So, keep that straight. I'm not just talking about the front of the box like, hey, do it. Uh, He's our model. Uh, He's also our Savior, right? So, Adam failed. We talked about it. He was disobedient. He went to the very tree that God told him not to go to went to the tree that God told him not to go to. Jesus succeeds where Adam failed. And Jesus actually goes to the tree to pass the test that Adam failed. But it's not just with Adam, right? The people of God failed. The people of God failed and Jesus has succeeded where we've failed. Maybe you've uh, heard the story before of Moses, right? And Moses takes the people of God And he leads them out of Egypt and they go into the wilderness, right? And they're there in the wilderness for 40 years, failing over and over again that the the test that God's putting in front of them. And then we know that Jesus comes, is baptized, and is led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness for 40 days. And 40 is a significant number in Scripture always refers to testing, always referring to trial. 
So here the people of God go out into the desert for 40 years and they continue to fail the test that God puts in front of them. The people of God were tested with hunger. They were tested with hunger so that they would learn to depend on God for provision. They failed that test. The people of God um, were commanded to worship God alone. And they failed that test by making a golden calf and bowing down to it in the wilderness, right? Israel, then in the wilderness, doubted God's power and put him to the test. So this is, what, this, is, this is how the score comes back for the people of God in the wilderness. And now Jesus comes, right? And he's led out into the wilderness. And if you remember the way that Satan tempted him, it was first because he was hungry, right? So Jesus is tested with hunger, just like the people of God were tested with hunger. And Jesus responds by passing the test that the people of God fail. And when he passes the test, he quotes the commands that God gave the people of God before they went out into the wilderness. Isn't that amazing that before the people of God went out into the wilderness, it was an open book test. God had given them the answers, right? And yet they failed the open book test. So now Jesus comes. And let me read it to you. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered. Jesus. (laughs) Jesus answered. It is said, do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. So here we have, I just think this is so significant. Here we have Jesus in the wilderness taking the same test that the people of God took and failed. And now he's taking it. And when he resists the temptation that the enemy puts in front of him, he quotes the commands that God gave the people of God thousands of years earlier. By quoting what is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. I guarantee that he wasn't feeling those things after 40 days without food and water. But he keeps coming back to it. It is written. It is written. It is written. And he succeeds where we've failed. If you've failed in this area, there's good news. Jesus has succeeded on our behalf. So he's the perfect example of submission to authority. He's always saying things like this. If you, if you read your, your Gospels, Jesus constantly making comments like this. I do nothing of myself. I do nothing of myself. I say only what the Father tells me to say. That's what I say. I say what someone tells me to say. How would, how, how be, we struggle to say that, right? Imagine if that, I mean, you would not want to celebrate that. I say what I'm only told to say. When my wife tells me to speak, I speak. And then I say what she told me to say, you know? It's like embarrassing. I say only what the Father tells me to say. Totally cool with it. I do exactly as the Father commanded me. That's what I do. I do exactly what I'm told. He made it look so easy, right? But we know that it wasn't. Hebrews 5 says this about Jesus, that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. 
if he wasn't tempted towards disobedience, how can someone learn obedience? He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Many of us are resisting obeying what God's spoken to us because we think it's going to cost us. And you're right. You're right. It will cost you. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Sin, death, brought through the disobedience of Adam. Redemption, brought through Jesus Christ, through perfect obedience. If you think about it, the cross was not Jesus' goal. He wasn't on a mission to go to the cross. He wasn't on a mission to do miracles. He wasn't on a mission to make disciples. He wasn't on a mission to live a certain amount of time. He was on a mission to do what the Father asked Him to do. He was on a mission to live a life of perfect obedience, which led Him to do miracles, led Him to the cross, and led Him to call disciples. I mean, we just a couple weeks ago talked about how Jesus calls disciples. And, and, and I need to backtrack and tell you I was wrong. Because Jesus later on in life is praying to the Father and He says, thanks Father for the people You've given Me. He didn't even choose the people He wanted. He chose the people that He was told to choose, right? We find out that before He chose those disciples, He spent the whole night in prayer. A life of perfect obedience. Succeeding in all the ways that we've failed. But here's where we're going to take a turn this morning. And, and, and I think it is amazing what Jesus has done for us. How Jesus has succeeded on our behalf. How He's passed the test that we failed and now we get His score. That is the good news. It's amazing. But here's the thing. Jesus does not just do things for us. He demands things from us. Because He is not just Savior. He is Lord. And I, I think the line is long of people who are looking for a Savior who are looking to be bailed out. Everybody wants a knight in shining armor. Everyone wants to be rescued. Everybody wants a Savior, but nobody wants a Lord. And we're told over and over again that Jesus is both Savior and Lord. And this is where the rub is at church, right? This is where the rub exists between Christianity and discipleship. Because we want a Savior, but we don't want a Lord. And what we're told is that He's boss and that we're the apprentices. He calls the shots and we're the interns. We follow Him. We obey Him. Everybody wants a Savior. Nobody wants a Lord. Nobody wants a Master. Nobody wants to be told what to do. So, we're going to talk um, about what discipleship looks like as we follow Jesus. This charge, you know, you've heard this word before, disciple, discipleship. Um, but I want to I take a look at it and think about the charge to be obedient to what He's asked us to do. Jesus, before He left, gave us this charge, right? To go into all the world and make disciples. Maybe you, this might be your first time in church and you've probably heard this before. Go into all the world. Make disciples. Actually, let me, let me read it. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and in earth has been given to Me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, you and surely I'm with you always even to the very end of the age something that's kind of popped out to me recently is that Jesus doesn't when he gives this charge to make disciples say hey won't you go make disciples guys and I want you to teach them what I said what I said to you guys I want you to teach them what I said 
He doesn't say, go into, go into the world, make disciples, and teach them about me. I want you to tell them all about me. He actually goes, go into all the world, make disciples, and teach them to obey or to observe everything that I commanded you. Don't just teach them what I commanded you. Teach them to obey what I commanded you. And those are two totally different things. And I think it's where we're missing it as a church. We continue to teach things about Jesus. We continue to teach, things, we continue to teach what he said. And ri- literally he's saying, dig in with people and teach them to obey what I said. Teach them to do what I say. Not just information, not just a download of facts about me. Teach them about these miracles. I did teach them to obey what I have commanded. Jesus taught for a response. This is why they said of Jesus, like, man, he's got authority. He's not like any of the other teachers. He taught for a response. He finished his most famous sermon on the mount with these words. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Right? So he didn't come just simply to dispense information. He came to change our lives. And he rarely rebukes people for their lack of knowledge. If you read the Bible, it's not like, hey, you don't know enough. It's just that you don't know enough. You need to know more. He never says it. He rebukes people for their lack of faith that's seen by their lack of applying what they do know. I know that you don't know everything. I don't either. And the more I read the Bible, the less I know. It's terrible, but it's what's happening. So I know you don't know everything, but what do you know? What has he said to you? Because what we want to do as a church is we don't want you just to know the truth. We want you to be true to the truth that you know. I know it's just a little, but there are some main and plain things in this book. And I think the game we keep playing is like, well, if I just knew more, and if I knew what God was talking about when I read this random scripture in Ezekiel, well, then I would forgive. Then I'd forgive. And the truth is, is you know some things. Be true to the truth that you know, and God will continue to reveal truth to you. Quit playing this game of if I knew more, if I knew more. Jesus is not rebuking people for not knowing enough. He's rebuking people for not applying or stepping out into or not risking into what he's told them to do. What is the little that you know? It may be really small. That's great. I don't know a lot. I know that there are a lot of things that I don't know, and there are a lot of things that I don't know that I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I know that I don't know Chinese, and there's a lot of other things that I don't know that I don't know. I don't know a lot. But what has he said to you? And how can you be obedient, be true to the truth that you know? Jesus taught for a response. This is not about just information, a mental assent to some facts. This is about a living and active faith where we're obedient, right? When, he, when, when Jesus says these words like, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is a fool. If you come and continue to hear over and over again these words and you do not do them, you're a fool. It makes me think, this, this famous speech makes me think of a, of a passage that was written by James who was the brother of Jesus. And James, the brother of Jesus, did not convert until Jesus was resurrected. Because what would it take for you to believe that your brother was the Son of God? <laughs> really? The miracles, the miracles were not enough. The miracles weren't enough for James. He was like, man, I don't know. I've seen snake charmers do this stuff. I don't know. I'm not into it, you know. But Jesus rises from death, and all of a sudden James is in. And he gives us part of our Bible, and he did not follow his brother when his brother walked to the earth. And in his book, he gives us this very famous passage. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For if he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. In the doing. Blessed in the doing. I see these uh, distinctions happening where Jesus, when he ends his sermon, he's like, yeah, there's hearers, and then there's people who put it into practice. And I hear James talking about these two categories. Well, there's hearers and there's doers, right? What's really interesting is that in the Hebrew, which is the language of the people of God, the same word is used for to hear as is used for to obey. Same word. There is no distinction between them. Shema. It means, it literally means to hear, obey. No distinction between the two. It's as if, like, it was implied that if you had heard from the God of the universe, you were probably going to obey. That there was no, there's actually no separation. Like, if you heard and didn't do, you probably didn't hear. Because if you heard, you would do something about it. And now we get to the New Testament. Jesus is confronting people because those two words have been taken apart. And those are two very different things, to hear and to obey. And there seems to be these groups that are choosing just to hear and not to obey what's been said. The distinction, um, (laughs) you know, the distinction as I see it in the church is one between Christians and disciples, right? That we've become perfectly content with a form of Christianity that doesn't include discipleship. Discipleship in the church is clearly optional. There are Christians, and I would define Christians as those who uh, receive Jesus as Savior. Punched my ticket, I'm going to heaven. And there are the disciples who have embraced Jesus as Lord. There is no Christianity without discipleship in Scripture. It doesn't exist. The categories that we've created don't exist. You cannot be a Christian without being a disciple. You cannot have Jesus as Savior and not have Him as Lord of your life. It's not there. And we've created these really cool categories that keep us comfortable. And we think, oh, well, that's for them. That's for the elite forces. Right? No, I'm, I'm pretty cool as a Christian, but, you know, if you want to be a disciple, that's up to you. It's almost become the exception that someone would actually be obedient to his word. Did you hear? Yeah, man, they're like, they're like feeding the poor. They're like doing it. Like what Jesus said, they're going to do it. Anyways, where are we going to lunch? You know, it's like, <laughs> did you hear? You know, they actually give. And they give generously. They do what Jesus told them to do. Whoa, did you hear? It's crazy. It's crazy. They forgave their enemies. Unheard of. You know, it's like the exception. It's not the norm for us. We're so comfortable with hearing, 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 and not obeying, obeying, obeying what he said that when someone actually does obey, they're like, they're varsity. They're Green Beret, right? It's like, yeah, well, all of us have English too, but some people have honors classes. Some people have AP English, right? But we don't all have to take AP English. We can just have English too, you know? When, when discipleship is viewed as optional, because there are some Christians and then there are some that get crazy and they're disciples, We've missed it because those categories, those distinctions, they don't exist in Scripture. So here are your options today. I'm going to give you some options. So you don't have to be obedient to one or the other. You choose. You're in the driver's seat. So the ruler, um, I want to read out of Luke 18 because there's a couple of stories that Jesus tells. Um... And I think he told them back to back on purpose because I think it presents to us our choices and um, 
how we can walk away from a morning like this morning. Uh, Jesus encounters this rich young ruler in uh, Luke um, 18, verse 18. And a ruler asked him, so this guy's in charge, he's the boss, right? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, well, all these things I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we've left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife, or brothers, or parents, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come. Eternal life. So here's the story. A guy wants to step in. He wants to become a disciple. Jesus says, here's the gauntlet. This is what you need to do. And he goes away sad. Instead of doing what Jesus asked him to do, he walks away sad. Because he can't pay the cost of discipleship. And then Jesus says, man, this is tough. In fact, this is impossible. But what's impossible for man is not impossible for God. And then we read on. We read on in Luke 19. And there's another story, which I don't need to read because you know it. It's about Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Climbed up into a sycamore tree. I don't know how it goes from there. But you know this story, right? Well, what you may not know is that Zacchaeus was also filthy rich, another rich man who decided not to walk away sad, but to respond to Jesus's invitation and to actually do what Jesus was asking him to do. And it says of Zacchaeus that he said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Interesting. It's not even all. I don't think it's about the amount for Jesus. It's about top spot. And what he was exposing in this young man's life is an issue of top spot, not amount. So Zacchaeus says, here you go, this is half um, I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. These passages are put right next to each other for a reason. You have a choice. You can walk away sad, heavy hearted. Yeah, I'm not doing it. I'm not cutting it. Or you can do it. You really can And I think the lie is, and it was the lie for this rich young ruler who's thinking like, it costs too much. It's too steep. I can't get in. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this uh, amazing attack on easy Christianity called what? The cost of discipleship. And it's like what we think about when we think of discipleship. What about the cost? What about the cost of following Jesus? And here's the truth. Your undiscipleship will cost you far more than your discipleship. Your undiscipleship is what will cost you. In the end, Jesus is saying, look, even in this life, these are the things that you'll have as a result of following me. And we're not even talking about heaven right now. Your undiscipleship is costing you in this life. Your undiscipleship, your decision to walk away leaves you sad week after week. Week after week, you come here and you leave sad because you don't respond in obedience to Him. Your lack of discipleship, your non-discipleship, your undiscipleship is costing you abiding peace. You don't have it. It's costing you relationships because you're not following Him into forgiveness. It may cost you your family, and in the end, it may cost you eternity. 
Your non-discipleship costs way more than discipleship. Your discipleship will cost and you will suffer. You'll suffer as you deny yourself and take up your cross. You were promised that you were going to face this. But it doesn't cost quite like your non-discipleship does. Your non-discipleship will cost you hope that abides even in difficult circumstances. Like Jared was talking about. That's the cost of your non-discipleship. The cost of non-discipleship is the abundant life that Jesus promised. That's what you forfeit in your non-discipleship. And I think Jesus is saying something really clear in Luke 18 and 19. Today, salvation can come to your house. Do the very next thing God tells you to do. Do that. I said it in the first service. Say it again. If everyone left this church and simply did the very next thing God called you to do, there would be a revival in your own life and there would be a revival in our city. It's that simple. I think you may think, well, we've got to tear down these strongholds and we've got to whatever. No, just do the very next thing Jesus tells you to do. There'll be a revival in your own life. There'll be a revival in our city. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If as I'm preaching, you're thinking to yourself, man, it's true, I've created two categories I've created this category of a Christianity that does not involve discipleship. I've thought that I could have Jesus as Savior and not have Him as Lord. And you know, because you've responded to the invitation to get saved at a Carmen concert, or I don't know where you were, but you, you already responded to the invitation to get saved. I, I want to invite you this morning to receive Jesus as Lord. If there's anyone here this morning where you're like, you know what, I know that I'm being invited as a disciple I know that I'm supposed to take a stand and recognize Christ to be Lord of my life and not just Savior. Not just someone who bails me out when I'm doing my own thing and it seems to get out of control. But if you're here this morning and you want to receive Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, maybe you've already prayed the sinner's prayer and received Him as Savior, but there's a decision that you want to make like, I'm going to follow you. Even if this costs, it's not as bad as my non-discipleship. My non-discipleship is wrecking my life right now. Um, if that's you, you feel convicted, you want to follow him as Lord, would you stand? You feel like this message is for you, that God's speaking to you. And I know that the desire of our church, that your desire too, is to be obedient. Uh, for those of you who stood, you're not alone. There's a bunch of people around you that want to be obedient to the very next thing he's saying to you. So the rest of the church, would you stand with me? Hey, if you're standing next to someone who stood, would you put your hands on them? Put a hand on their shoulder? For those of you who stood, you're not alone in this desire to follow Christ's commands. <laughs> Jesus, thank you uh, for your grace. Thank you um, that this probably isn't the first opportunity you've given us, and this isn't the last opportunity that you're going to give us to follow hard after you. I bless my brothers and sisters here, uh, not just the ones who stood, but everyone standing who has a desire to follow hard after you. We just recognize you in this place, Jesus, as not just our Savior, but as Lord. We recognize that our non-discipleship is costing us, costing our families, costing our city, far more than discipleship is going to cost us. And so we just surrender. We lay down our lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill these folks and empower them right now. As they've emptied themselves out and have surrendered and opened their hands, I pray that you would give them something that would empower them to follow you. Fill them, Holy Spirit. Strengthen them. In Jesus' name, amen. Do... Do the very next thing He tells you to do. It doesn't cost as much as your no. Your yes will not cost you as much as your no is costing you. I'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time. There is a heaven
to find Though I love the flowers and trees And the smell of the grinding sea And all the beautiful things here in life And I Bye.